I think you're really going to like this episode of STEM, Insider Tips for Greenhouse Pros. I'm Bill Calkins, and my guest today is Chris Carlson, the Product Launch and Assortment Manager for Ball Floor Plant. His wide range of knowledge and experience puts a unique twist on product development and launch, and I know you'll enjoy our discussion about what it takes to ensure successful product introduction in competitive markets like horticulture. Chris and I are going to get into the different steps in the launch cycle, what he and his team look for when trialing crops around the world, the importance of grower sampling and crop culture recommendations, and much, much more. This is an info-packed episode for sure. And be sure to listen closely for Chris's top picks and favorites in the ball floor plan assortment, because with his expertise and experience across breeding, product management, and wholesale growing, you can be confident they're truly the best of the best. But first, Connect Four, where we take a look at four ideas lining up to support one key industry topic. I figured since it's the first thing I get asked these days, it's worth a few minutes before we get into the episode. The question, how is the spring season for garden center retailers? So first off, from North American resources, both anecdotal and research-based, it seems that the majority of retailers, maybe three out of four, saw increased revenues this spring and overall year-to-date sales are up four to five percent and climbing. That's all of North America. The season isn't over as of the recording of this podcast in late June, so hopefully those numbers will inch up a bit before it's all said and done. Next, it sounds like across North America, average sale is up, but foot traffic is flat or down. I feel this is attributed to an improved economy resulting in sales being up, and we're all called the Gen X gap, leaving fewer total people in peak lawn and garden spending ages, bringing customer counts down. When weather's bad and sales are down, The loyal shoppers still buy. They have to fill those garden beds. But the casual shoppers just don't. From my discussions with retailers this spring, the fear is that when many casual gardeners, especially the newbies, the millennials with homes, when they skip a year like many did this spring in the Midwest or the Northeast, Southeast, some in the Mid-Atlantic, it's going to be extra challenging to get them in the doors next year. Third, as I just referenced, the 2018 spring retail season was really a story of regionality. Looking into year-to-date numbers that have been reported through various sources across independent and chain stores, the Northwest and South killed it this spring, with sales up 10% or more. Where I'm at here in the good old Midwest, the season was horrible, down 5% or more. In general, sales for many mid-Atlantic states kind of stunk, flat or a bit down from 2017, I would have said the Northeast had a bad year because of the weather, but some of the numbers I've seen were split. But the biggest markets in New York and Toronto were rough, flat or down, with sales actually up more than 5% as you look further south in that region. The Southeast was flat or down. Definitely a regional year. Finally, from a category perspective, annuals dominated in all regions except the South, where shrubs always tend to lead. And perennial sales, which have been on the rise for the past five years, seem to have plateaued. The thinking here is that purchasing perennials comes in cycles, and now that the beds are full, it's going to be a few years before homeowners replant. Vegetable sales, flat or down. I think this is due to millennials realizing that planting a vegetable garden is hard work, and the payback is actually relatively low. They jumped in with both feet a few years ago. We talked about it. We read about it. It was kind of the the big industry topic. But quickly, they realized it's a major pain in the butt. 
To me, it's like the DIY foodie fad that kind of came and went. Sounds fun, but in the end, it's actually easier to go out to eat. At least they're eating local, not going to the chain restaurants, thank goodness. But it's also easy to buy a carton of multicolored tomatoes at Costco. So today's trend, houseplants, obviously. I've heard numbers as high as 25% year-to-date increase in indoor foliage and tropicals. IGCs and other chain retailers can't source enough. They're selling out quickly. Heard from some East Coast IGCs that they're buying anything they can find, even across the country from the West Coast. This is a fast-growing category. Ready for a prediction? Okay, here you go. I suspect indoor and tropical plant sales will eclipse vegetable and herb sales by the year 2020. But enough speculation. Let's look at the facts. The facts in this case come from the extensive market knowledge and trialing our podcast guest has been a part of for more than a decade. Let's switch gears and talk about bringing new products to life. It's my pleasure to welcome Chris Carlson to STEM. Chris has a background in growing at the wholesale level before coming to Ball Flora Plant, working at Chico Propagators in California, growing an A to Z assortment of annuals, perennials, and a full line of flowering foliage for nurseries and wholesale florists. Over his 11 years at Ball Flora Plant, Chris has had the unique ability to do almost every job at the breeding facility, from trial grower to trials coordinator, facility manager for BFP's breeding location in California, crop-specific product manager, and now in his current role as product launch and assortment manager. Chris has led the successful launch of some best-in-class products like Presto Geraniums, Endurascape Verbena, Little Lucky Lantana, Conga Calabracoa, Blumify Lantana, Solar Power and Spotlight Ipomea, Flamethrower Coleus, Misty Salvia, and more. That's quite an impressive list. Chris, welcome to STEM. Bill, always exciting to talk to you. We always talk about super fun, exciting topics in horticulture, and today it's all going to be focused on how to launch a product successfully for vegetative animals. Awesome. Well, let's go ahead and get the ball rolling a little bit with a product question that that should touch on our topic of winning product launches. So, Chris, first of all, what are a couple of your favorite plants you've brought to market, and most importantly, why? Well, Endurascape is always my favorite. So to me, that's an example of breeding from scratch. We got intel from customers, um, different people in the industry saying, my complaint on verbena is that it cycles out of color too fast, it won't bloom all summer long. So I can still remember spotting that original Endurascape purple and white blush in a field full of dead verbena uh, for a long time ago. We're talking like at the beginning of my career with ball, going back into like 2009. I just remember getting that excitement of like, we found something that's gonna revolutionize verbena for the future. Um, Another one that I would say is just like adding to an existing class is Little Lucky Lantana. That was another one of my favorites. I'm a lantana nerd. I love lantana. It's all throughout my garden. And that's one where growers and consumers were asking for just a more compact lantana. What I grow today is too big. Give me something compact. And we were able to deliver because we're strong in lantana breeding within just a couple of years, this solution. It's always rewarding to go to the grower and say like, 
yeah, you thought maybe this was gonna take me a decade to get small antenna. Two years later, I've got four colors and I'm ready to go. That's kind of cool. And you know, I, I think you touched on something that's really important, which is solving the, the problems of our grower customers. Um, that has got to be where the excitement lies for you as a, as a product introduction uh, expert. So that's cool. I wanted to hear you discuss the reasons behind your top picks because really for as long as we've worked together, I've been impressed when I hear you present and when I see you in action with the products about your vision. And your I guess you have this ability to look across all the, these different products that, that you guys uh, bring in um, to the pipeline and spot the real rock stars. So when you get behind a plant, I tend to be pretty confident, and I know a lot of people within the organization are confident that it's solid. So um, some of this, I've be- got to believe, comes from your experience and roles in different parts of the business. So I guess um, to position sort of how you work within the industry, can you tell our listeners a little bit about your background and how these roles are, are super important when it comes to bringing products to market? Yeah, so I think going back to my wholesale experience, it wasn't a long experience of growing plants for a wholesale grower, but I can still remember being pitched on a new product, getting really excited about it, basically because it had a a new flower color or a new pattern or it was supposed to solve an issue for me. And then I would bring it in and it wouldn't perform how I expected it to. And then I just remember the frustration of feeling like, you know, now I got to shear this twice or I got to do a special PGR that I wasn't expecting to get this to market. So I think those failures early in my career led me to believe that when I got into this position, I got to do a better job. And the way we do a better job is in our catalog this year, we highlighted trialed and approved, which is the concept that we've uh, at least doubled, if not tripled our trial um, process and that's focused on regional trialing. So we've developed a lot of standards at a higher level than what we used to have so that the product that's coming out is high quality and you're gonna have confidence in it. So I, I think it's great that, that um, you have confidence in my launches and the corporation and I think many growers have confidence in new products I bring forward. And I can say that that's mainly because of a robust trial system behind me that makes me look really good. (laughs) Um, Finally, I would say uh, at at heart, I'm also a gardener. So I I joke about it. I mentioned it earlier. My yard is full of every lantana that we sell because I'm a lantana nerd and it drives my wife crazy. She's like, you're planting another lantana in my garden? Like this is out of control. But I also will uh, plant products that are two or three years away from being launched on the market something that I think is really unique or special, just so I can see it every morning when I walk out the door. Um, there's no better no better way to understand products than to see them every single day, and that's what allows me to, uh, to, to have that better understanding and then explain that confidence that I have to, to the whole industry, really. That's cool. I think growers and retailers sometimes use the, those tactics when they when they introduce products as, you know, hey, I've tried this in my yard. I've seen how it performs. I know how it performs in our area. You can be confident with it. And you also brought up the fact that some early failures with new products that were maybe oversold or not trialed as well uh, gave you, I guess, really highlighted the importance of that trialing process. That's 
that's uh, definitely worth noting. So I appreciate that insight. Your knowledge, I think, benefits everyone in the chain um, as you guys introduce products. So speaking of that, can you explain your product launch cycle, I guess, through Ball Floor Plant? A few episodes ago, uh, I interviewed Dr. Laura Macer, a breeder and product manager who I know you work very closely with, and she gave us insight into the world of breeding, and, and she really brought it down to a level, I think, that, that people can understand, even if um, we, you know, we weren't brought up in a lab like, uh, like some people in the industry. So I'm going to include a link to that episode so people can listen. But during our conversation, she explained that the, there's a part of the process when she hands the product off to sales and marketing to, to look at market demands and to position and ultimately slot those new introductions. Um, and she mentioned your name specifically. So can you give an example or overview of that launch cycle as a refresher to us and specifically go into detail about the role that your team plays and how this benefits um, your grower customers? Yeah, absolutely. I thought I would use Enduroscape as the example because that's the that's one of my favorite products that I brought up at the beginning and just kind of give a time frame of how that product got to market. So um, if we go back, the first thing we always have to understand at Ball Floor Plant is the pain of the grower or the pain of the consumer or the pain of our customer, whoever that customer is. So that's where I'm going to take two steps back and where Laura and I cross over is in the development of that pain. So we develop the pain of verbena is that it doesn't flower all summer long. And that was brought to our attention in 2007 and 2008. So we started working on what is that pain? What are we trying to solve? And in Enduroscape, it also had a unique um, kind of niche niche market um, where we were trying to find a verbena that would also overwinter in zone seven. So that the, the the, the pain that was brought forward is Homestead Purple is a great product Everybody knows and loves that verbena. And I need more colors than just purple. So there was multiple pains that were identified. And that's where I'd have to sit down with Laura and and write out, how does that turn into a breeding spec? And then beyond that breeding spec, how does that turn into a unique trial process? So Enduroscape fits into our trial process where Laura and I overlap when the breeding is being developed. And that's strong regional trials that we've expanded in Texas and Florida and the Midwest and trying to get that regional look for greenhouse and garden performance. Um, That's kind of our normal wheelhouse for ball floor plant vegetative annuals where Enduroscape hits kind of a unique situation is we had to develop an entire trial process to screen overwintering just in zone seven and higher. So we had to go find a grower that would partner with us and and set up a trial. So while Laura's working on the science of breeding Enduroscape, Chris as a product manager is going out and finding a grower that will work with us to develop a trial process for overwintering on Enduroscape. And those things are happening simultaneously from 2007 to about 2009 when we saw the first kind of success, I guess I would call it, with Enduroscape Purple and Enduroscape White Blush. So we solved Homestead Purple with a better performance, and we found a new color with the White Blush, and we saw potential for the future. That's where the product manager starts to back away because the system is set up and we don't need to cross over as much. Laura knows what I need from Enduroscape. We see that we've 
um, solve the pain and we can create a gain for a grower where they have a better product, whether it's going to save them money, but in the case of Endurascape, it's just going to allow for better sell-through because the consumer is going to be happier with the performance of their verbena. So now we start to really, after 2009, when we found that initial uh, good variety in the Endurascape breeding, um, that's when things start to transition over to my position from a product launch standpoint. So um, in 2011, I kind of realized that we potentially have a commercial product here. And the, the plan was put in place to introduce that first product in 2014. So you can see there's that lag time of the breeding is set up in 2009, everything's a go, and we don't have our first commercial launch till 2014, but I'm already working on it for three years in advance of 2014. And what does that look like? It looks like culture trials that can show you how to successfully grow and Durascape in various pot sizes. And I started those in 2012, so that by the time we went to pack trials, I had a package for you. What bonsai rate? Um, what's the crop time? What's the appropriate time to grow it in the year? Um, so all those things are happening um, on their own. Laura knows what's going on as a breeder. She kind of sees some of the culture trials but she's still heavy in the breeding cycle. She's got her own, her own work to be doing. On top of that, I'm responsible to grow the marketing trials for the company. Um, so those are getting grown a year, two years in advance so that we can go to CAST, California Spring Trials, and show you awesome looking Endurascape and show you what the potential of that um, product is. Um, on top of that, we run at Ball Floor Plant, we run an extensive sample program on all new genetics that we're ready to launch. And that's a whole year in advance of the, the targeted commercial date. So in 2013, Endurascape was actually already available to growers for them to get their own cuttings and try it themselves. So I'm out uh, visiting and touring growers to watch Endurascape grow in a grower condition and make sure that it lines up with what, what I learned in culture trials. Um, and then finally, I've got to write all the details for the catalog. Um, I've got to go through and look at all this data from all these trials and put um, detailed information into the catalog, exchange that information with the marketing department. And our catalog is always working about a year and a half in advance of a commercialization and a, and a launch cycle for Endurascape. So you can see that there's in the beginning, Laura and I cross over, and towards the end, um, more of the emphasis is for me to take the product all the way to the final end consumer. So I hope that that answers your question and kind of gives you an insight into what the launch cycle looks like for, for a product. No, it sure does. And, and you know, with a product like Endurascape, it sounds like it was, you know, it was sort of conceptualized in 07 based on, on a grower need and brought to market in 2014. So that's seven years from scratch to a complete package. That's uh, that's impressive. I think it's, that's pro is that pretty standard for uh, for a product from scratch? I know you talked about Lantana only taking a couple years to that little lucky solution because there was existing breeding, but is, you know, is that seven year cycle, is that pretty, pretty standard or is that an ab abnormality? 
Yeah, I think it depends on what you're going for. I mean, we have some other examples. I could switch to Megacopa Bacopa, where we were looking for a much larger flower size. We were looking for a little more heat tolerance than what you currently get in a Bacopa on the market. Um, from concept to finished product, um, it took much less than seven years. I would say it was more like a three-year process, but I would also challenge that um, the Megacopa project was a little more like Little Lucky, where we already had an existing Sutera breeding program, and we just needed um, improvements to what was already in our system. So that's where I think that's more of a two to four year average on a turn for when you can bring commercial products. But we literally, to me, we drew an open box on a piece of paper for Enduriscape and we said, we, all we care about is zone seven hardiness and awesome garden performance. And we're willing to fit small, big, different habits. Like usually when you write a breeding spec, it's very specific. This was more like a clean whiteboard to the breeder that said, as long as it's zone seven hardy and uh, has great garden performance, we don't care how you get there. Just let's let's start. And that takes that seven years to me. That's that's a traditional time frame. Um, yeah. Okay, I get it. And, you know, I think with breeders probably love that kind of a challenge too. And you guys have some really good ones. So that's, that's awesome. And I know that not all of your work is done in a field in California. You travel quite a bit. So where do you go and what do you look for? I'm going to leave this wide open because I think, you know, a lot of folks across the industry wonder what, you know, product introdu- uh, product launch and introduction all entails. And they know that um, there are breeding company representatives traveling around the world. But, you know, what, what exactly do you do when you're out and about? Well, the first is why I travel. And to me, the why is so that I can always be learning and improving. Um, as soon as I feel like I have something figured out, that means I'm not learning enough. Um, these are these are living organisms, right? So I can trial in 15 different trial locations across seven different regional conditions and still um, feel like I missed something. So by give it, getting out and traveling to growers, I, I provide myself the opportunity to learn more about our products. Um, most of my travel is is North America, but I also travel internationally. Um, I'm probably on the road about 30 to 36 weeks out of the year. Um, my international travel is so that I can go to the farm in Nicaragua and try to learn something there too about our products. Like you'd be surprised at how different an Enduriscape Verbena can look like in Nicaragua than what it can look like anywhere else. Um, and maybe they're gonna have some challenge that, that we didn't account for. Um, luckily in Enduriscape, there are no challenges in, in production and there were none as, as we moved along the process. But there's been mer- many other products that um, our horticulture industry has never seen because I fly myself out to the farm and I'm all excited about a new uh, petunia, let's say, and suddenly the farm shows me uh, information and I say, you know what, we're not going to introduce that petunia anymore, or we're not going to introduce, it doesn't matter what the crop, we're not going to introduce that angelonia anymore because the farm's struggling with it. And that's a key component of our, our customers being successful. So that's my priority is to always understand the new BFP genetics um, internally really well. 
Another component is when I can get out to growers, I get to see everybody's commercial offering. And when we identify pains for any of our crops, the best way to identify a pain is to go talk to a grower and talk to them about other people's material, other commercial products. So I feel like when it, the part of my title that says um, product assortment, I feel like I have to be an expert on everybody's vegetative material and even a little bit about the seed annual material so that I can understand pains that could potentially be solved there or places where seed is actually better than vegetative that that exists too. So I do a lot of tough travel, um, Utah, Baltimore and California in the same week, California, Texas and Miami in the same week. But it's so that I can get out there and really understand the marketplace. Uh, last week I was in Denver looking at trials and then I got the privilege of going to Anaheim, California and be at a, a conference sponsored by YouTube to uh, get better, better at making videos. No, that's funny. So you're an expert on everybody's vegetative material and all sorts of other things. And now you're going to be an expert on YouTube video making. So that's actually a perfect segue because can you quickly touch on BFP TV? You know, I, I see whenever they release it, you're the guy on camera for just about every episode. Um, I'm going to put links in the show notes, of course. But why did you guys launch this resource and how has the response been? So first, let me tell you from my experience at the YouTube conference, um, I am an expert for our customer base. <laughs> <laughs> there is some stuff going on YouTube that blew my mind in terms of how they create content. And we're gonna definitely be making some improvements there. But we launched BFP TV um, mainly because I would prefer to be out on the road and talking to growers 52 weeks out of the year. And unfortunately, that's my job won't allow that. My, my position won't allow that. So I tried to craft BFP TV to look like I'm having a personal conversation with a grower in a greenhouse, sharing and imparting my knowledge on our products, whether that's knowledge of how it solves a pain for them um, versus how to grow the product better, what PGRs they should be using and what light conditions they should be growing the product under. So that was my tool to basically travel more without having to travel because now you can click on a link and it almost feels like I'm standing right next to you and we're just having a conversation about, about product, about growing, um, about my background and my experience. But I don't have to fly across the country to do that. And I can reach a lot more um, of our customers that maybe don't get to go to California spring trials. Maybe budget is, a, is an issue and they don't get to go see the new products, but now there's an avenue for them to quickly get that information and, and see it real time. So while I, I could challenge that um, with the success we've had, BFP TV is successful. The, the people that watch it and love it, they tell me, give me twice the content. I could probably do this full time. And in reality, I went back and looked at it and actually I almost spend 0% of my time because as a function of my job, this is always tacked on to things that I already have to do. Beyond being the guy that's on the camera, I'm also the, the guy who is the camera operator. I don't have any camera operators. Uh, it's a very uh, kind of, what's the term, maybe cut rate 
fly-by-night um, <laughs> operation, but I think we turn out good quality, and I think it accomplishes the mission of, of spreading good information. Sounds like being a podcaster in, in horticulture. You do a lot of do a lot <laughs> yourself. Um, I like the fact that BFP TV is is that personal conversation, um, but it is based heavily on your market and product knowledge. So, along those lines, what are some current projects that you feel are underway to solve grower challenges and meet market needs? Where in the process is your team on these developments? And I guess what what can growers um, and maybe even retailers expect to see? Uh, the fruits of your labor. When are some of these products going to be uh, coming to market? Well, I can say that um, just one year away, because we're always working two, three years away and one year away. One year away, we've already got a new line of products that's going to solve issues. It's going to hit the market next year. Um, we took the Endurascape model and put it into our medium basket series of Firehouse. We put it into our upright court series of Verbena called Cadets. And that's going to have the same garden performance as an Endurascape. And we're already revolutionizing the entire verbena assortment for ball floor plants. So that that hits the market right away. But then two and three years down the road, um, we're looking at um, products that root much easier. Um, we're looking at we're always looking to push the envelope in longer garden performance. Um, we're also starting to explore um, crops where we could grow in more adverse conditions. So think of a traditional um, product that you know as a heat crop. You got to put it in a greenhouse where you're pushing night temperatures higher, you're pushing daytime temperatures higher. And if you're in the Midwest, that means your heating bills through the roof. Well, what if we could breed a crop that could just grow much cooler than your traditionally um, used to. Maybe it's New Guinea impatience. Maybe you can grow New Guinea impatience suddenly five degrees cooler on average. That's going to save you money on your heating bill. And then the next big area that we're really focused on is is looking at resistance and pathogen and insects. Um, that's going to take a much lo higher level of research um, at a scientific level. I think Laura started to touch on that a little bit in in her episode with you, and that's happening today. That's probably more that starting from scratch program that's going to be seven years down the road. Um, it will it will require all the same trials that we have right now, and probably some trials that we don't have yet um, to really prove out that something is resistant to pathogens or insects. But it's possible, and we feel like that's the next place to go. Oh, that's fascinating. I, I think I love hearing about um, breeding direction and what really drives um, some of what you guys are working on. But where, like, where is that balance between the grower benefits you talked about, rooting, et cetera, and garden performance? Where, where, how do you balance those two seemingly very different needs when it comes to breeding and introduction? Well, that's where I think we have to be really clear with the the positioning of a launch. So there's times when I bring products to market. Um, where I'm really more focused on grower attributes and the benefits there. Sometimes I get both, um, and sometimes I have to be very clear. I mean, you look at a product like Megacopa Bacopa that I brought up earlier, and we also bred that product to be um, more friendly for the grower, have better branching, a more compact habit. Um, and I will tell you right off the bat, like I've told this to growers very frankly, like it's still Sutera. 
I gave you two weeks longer guard performance, but at the end of the day, it's still a Sutera. And we all know in the world of horticulture that Sutera is still not even close to touching like an Endurascape summer garden performance. So that's a great example of like, you know what, I got you a larger flower that's gonna be higher sell through. I got you a better habit that's gonna make it easier to produce. I touched on the garden performance a little bit. I improved based on what's out there in the market, but I still gotta be honest and say, it's still a Sutera at the end of the day, right? So that's where the, that's where I draw the line is like, I'm not gonna go, you never see me go out and say that the Sutera is gonna last like an Endurascape unless I have really substantiated proof, pictures, documentation, BFP TV, and maybe we'll get there in 20 years. Maybe Sutera will be like, uh, like Endurascape in the summer garden, but that's not where we're at today. So you're never gonna hear me say that that's where we're at. Okay, no, I guess that, that, that makes sense. So you talked about Megacopa and Durascape. Those are products that are in the market already. You touched on um, Firehouse and Cadet, two exciting new intros coming to market sort of as we speak. How about a little bit of a sneak peek into the future? What are some projects maybe just underway or early in the pipeline that you guys are working on? I'm going to leave this one open because, frankly, I'm, I'm just selfishly interested. So one that, that kind of came to my mind recently the other day is we've got a bunch of new salvia. Um, stuff that you've never seen in salvia before, colors, habits, performance levels, different foliage types, that's really getting me excited. So much to the point where I've got a salvia that's been in my garden for two years, and probably it can't be commercialized until 2021. So that's always to me kind of an indication, like if I took it home and put it in my own garden, it must be pretty interesting. Sooner rather than later, we're going to have some really great innovation in geraniums for garden performance. We're looking at some new scavolas for easier rooting. Um, and then there's some crops that are maybe five, three, five years out that I can't even name yet because they were conceptually started years back. We're on that seven year trials breeding cycle. And the breeders would probably murder me if I if I actually told you what those crops are. Um, and then the final thing is we just implemented a new website design um, that we'll be putting out there some some videos to, to highlight that where our information about products is um, much easier to find on the website. So it's not always crops, but mostly crops. And we're trying to innovate innovate in technology and information too. So. And you guys actually have come out with some pretty awesome salvias in the past few years. I have one outside my uh, office window here, uh, Misty, that's that's fantastic. Um, which again, you're getting to solving consumer problems too, with you know looking for pollinator plants and, and things like that. So that's awesome to hear. Um, I can't wait to see them. Uh, innovations in geraniums are always big because it's such a, a, a well-used and universal crop. So cool. Um, and a new website, I saw how you worked that in there as an innovation. It certainly is true. I think the way that we present information these days um, is, uh, is, is changing as we speak. So, And I would recommend everyone listening go and check out the Ballflora Plant website. It's ballfloraplant.com. I'll put a link in the show notes. So when Dr. Macer and I talked, she answered uh, this question, but, I, but then suggested that I ask you specifically in a future episode. Well, that time is now. So... The same question is coming your way. Out of hundreds or more plants trialed, you find a winner. 
So how is a company like Ball Flora Plant going to commercialize that product and get that product to greenhouses around the world? I know it's kind of an, uh, an open question, but I also know it's, it's right in your wheelhouse of expertise. So I'm going to go back to some of the things I talked about with our product launch cycle. I'm going to quickly summarize that. So the key to me to successful commercialization is a really massive or large sample program that I can get out to growers so that they can experience it for themselves. Because there's so many options in horticulture now that really the grower has to see it themselves. And then great culture trials on regional levels um, and great breeder trials so that we clearly understand the difference that our product can bring to the market, the pain that it can solve, and we also understand the correct timing, the PGR inputs, everything for our growers. And then finally, I would, I would again say, I know these products because I grow these products. So because I have to grow a marketing event, because I have it in my own yard, my passion is gonna spill over when I've found something exceptionally great. And I think people realize that about me. They realize that BFP TV is Chris Carlson. And when Chris Carlson shows up to your greenhouse, that same passion that you see in the video is what you get, you get in person. And it's because I love what I do and it's because I have such a great feel for the products and I love the products. So that to me is how Ball, six, ball Floor Plan is successful with commercialization. And that passion is the exact reason, one of the reasons why I, I couldn't wait to have you as a STEM guest. Um, so what have we missed? Your job has so many tentacles out into the market. Is there anything else you want to share with the listeners? Any tips, advice, anything you want to get off your chest? Now's your chance. So uh, something that I've been trying to do more is, is excite growers. Um, I think we work in an industry that is is challenging and that we have this big push. Um, and I guess it's my pet peeve, you know, we all work ourselves to death in spring. And you can show up these growers and, and see that they're just tired, right? They're tired from the season. So uh, my challenge to the industry is never stop learning, never learn that, leave, uh, never lose that passion. Um, and I'm gonna try to be your champion to, to come and visit you in the midst of the the heart of the season when you're tired and fire you up to get excited about new genetics, um, what's coming down the path and, and solve some issues for you. I oftentimes go into a, a grower's greenhouse and I did it um, up in Canada. It was hilarious. I said, we were walking crops and kind of surveying the whole season. And, and I said, you know what? What can ball flora plant improve for you? Just name one thing. And it was hilarious. This grower, you could tell he was tired, but he just flipped it around. He's like, you know, I just want to focus on the positive. So to me, that's kind of like I did my job. Like he's he's tired, he's worn down, but he still wants to focus on the positive that our industry has to bring. So um, I, I felt success in that moment. That's cool. Thank you so much, Chris. Um I guess we're kind of wrapping it up now. So if any of the listeners have any questions, if you have requests for BFP TV topics, um, if you want to challenge Chris on, on a, a new uh, product to bring to market or, or share some of the challenges um, that, that you're facing on a day-to-day -day basis that might be uh, opportunities for, for breeding in the ball floor plant camp, um, what's the best way for a listener to get in touch with you? 
I'm going to give you my cell phone number. It's 805-291-9702. Remember, I might be on an airplane when you call me, but you will get a call back. And then you can always email me, too, if that's easier. K-C-A-R-L-S-S-O-N at ballhort.com. That's my email. So never hesitate to reach out to me. I always love the feedback. And uh, if I'm uh, on an airplane, just give me a minute and I'll, I'll get back to you. Oh, that's awesome. I appreciate that. And um, we will also put those, uh, those contact points in the show notes um, so that they'll be easily accessible. Well, thank you, Chris, so much. And to all the STEM listeners, hopefully we've, we've taken another step toward demystifying the product introduction process and positioning, um, I think Ball Floor Plan is, is excellent at understanding the needs for these products, how to position them, and then how to bring them to market so that they actually see the light of day. Um, hopefully now it's a little bit more clear how much goes on behind the scenes. Uh, far, even up to seven or eight years before a fantastic new product hits your greenhouse bench. We, uh, we appreciate Chris and Ball Flora Plant for being a part of this program, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Thanks so much for listening to STEM, insider tips for greenhouse pros. I'm Bill Calkins, and you can always reach me by email at bcalkins at ballhort.com. B-C-A-L-K-I-N-S at B-A-L-L-H-O-R-T dot com or on Twitter at Bill Calkin. Be sure to follow Ball Seed on LinkedIn for tons of B2B content related to STEM topics, timely technical tips, and more. And check out the show notes for links to Ball Flora Plant crop resources, BFP TV episodes, and plenty of others. Let's end this episode with a quote about invention and innovation from Google co-founder Larry Page. Invention is not enough. Tesla invented the electric power we use, but he struggled to get it out to people. You have to combine both things, invention and innovation focus, plus the company that can commercialize things and get them to people.